This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. Win, lose, or draw, McDelivery will always help bring home the free points. And speaking of points, order now on the McDonald's app and you'll earn reward points through every delivery. Order today, rewards tomorrow. You win? Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards, registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I ended up getting into coaching around 17, 18, just as a part-time job to earn money to go out at the weekends. After probably two or three years of doing that, you realise, actually, I've got real passion for this. And, you know, a certain Jude Bellingham comes into your life and you realise that he needs more than just, you know, coaching badges. This is a world exclusive and it's one of the biggest regrets I have in football where I actually wasn't at the game. I was actually down in London. I didn't realise Jude was going to be in the squad if I'm completely honest. If I knew he was even in the squad, then obviously I wouldn't have gone. We got tickets for Crystal Palace and we're just kind of checking our phones, checking our phones, checking our phones. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it went 2-1 and it took a while for it to come through on our phones <laughs> and it come up to Bellingham and we both, no word of a lie, in the Palace end, jumped up and celebrated like Palace had scored. Everyone else was like, what the hell is that? We went absolutely mental. We went absolutely mental. He has the hardest job of anyone I've ever known. I think he's the strongest character I've ever met because he is desperate to be the very best he can be, but will never truly understand what it's like to be Joe, constantly being compared with his brother and how he deals with that day to day, how he still has the level of charisma, the level of empathy and understanding work ethic, all those things. I think he's the strongest character that I've ever come across. Okay, hello and welcome back to the Blues Focus podcast with tonight's special guest, Mike Dodds. How are you, mate? Um, really good. Appreciate having me on, guys. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on. I'm joined with Jamie and Zach. Got that right this time. I'm uh, smashed it. Trying to get that better. <laughs> um, we'll get. We'll start off. Actually, we're talking some quick fire questions, um, just to sort of like get into the like, uh, get into the podcast a little bit. Um, but just basically, we're just wondering what your earliest football memory was. Earliest football memory, I was, I was, my granddad actually worked in football, so it would have been probably going to um, football with him. He was, um, 
he worked at Coventry City. Um, apologies, Blues fans. <laughs> uh, but he, his name was Bert Edwards. He worked at Coventry City. So um, going to, to football him was probably my earliest memory, going to the Coventry training ground and watching football from a very young age. And what what got you into into the sort of blue side of things and the coaching side of things? How did how did both those come about? Um, yeah, so unfortunately, I I haven't got a playing background. Obviously, you know, football's been in my blood. Um, obviously, through my my granddad, and you know, I would have done anything to be a professional football. Unfortunately, it didn't quite happen for me. So, um, I decided that I want to turn my hand to what I think is the second best job in the world, which is coaching football. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I took coaching. I went went into coaching fairly early. Um, I went and did a year at Coventry City. Obviously, um, I knew a lot of people there, so I did a year voluntary at Coventry City. Um, I was fortunate enough. I bumped into a gentleman called the Terry Wesley, who was at Derby County at the time. Um, and Terry actually offered me a, a part time job at Derby. Um, I went away on holiday. Um, nothing really came of it. And I contacted Terry when I got back from holiday and he said, oh, I've, um, I've actually taken a new job. I'm now at Birmingham. Um, and it kind of started from there. Terry offered me a part-time job. I worked part-time in Blues Academy for about two and a half, three years, I think it was. Um, and then made the transition into to full-time coaching. I pretty much worked with, you know, pretty much every coaching job that you can think of, at, you know, academy level, some from pre-academy, which is kind of your, your sevens and eights to foundation phase, which is your kind of nines, tens, elevens, then into youth development phase, which was 12 through to 16s. And then I had the professional development phase, which is your 17s to 21s or 17s to 23s at the time. Um... And yeah, and I spent the best part of what, including part time, I spent fourteen years at Birmingham. Obviously, Mike, what's your favourite player growing up? If you had one, and also your favourite ever moment in football. Um, yeah, good question. I mean, the first player that always comes to mind um, was because I, as a as a young kid growing up, and again, I apologise to Blues fans, Birmingham is ingrained in my soul and you know I've got a lot of love for Birmingham and I always will have but when in my younger days I was a Coventry City fan so I, you know some of my favourite players were the kind of you know your Mustafa Hadjis, your Yusef Chipos, your Gary McAllisters but my favourite player always was Robbie Keane um, mm. and only, he was only at Coventry for a short period of time before he went on to Inter Milan but um, as a young boy watching football I always remember Robbie Keane and he was always my favourite player. So when people ask me that, um, he's the first person that really comes to mind. Obviously, your Messi's, your Ronaldo's, you know, the, you know, the real greats of my generation. You know, they'll go down as some of the greatest players of all time. Um, but I always say, I always say Robbie Keane, uh, which I know is a little bit might be a little bit abstract, but um, I loved, I loved watching him as a kid. That is a good shout. To be fair, in terms of like your playing, how far did your your playing career go? I know you obviously didn't get into the professional side of things, but what age did you sort of continue playing football to? What position did you play yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah, I stopped around 17, 18, if I'm honest. Um, and I kind of um, got to the point where I actually I stopped playing and I then realised that I had a bit of a void in terms of, I didn't realise how much I loved the game until I stopped playing, if that makes sense. Mm. Um and back then, I mean, you know, that was what, 
I'll show my age a little bit here. So that was what, 20 years ago? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, God, that makes me feel really old. Um, <laughs> The, the, the opportunities back then weren't as um, kind of frequent and easy as young coaches nowadays. Um, and coaching really wasn't something in my head that was, was like a full-time possession, a, 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 um, profession, if that makes sense. And I ended up getting into coaching around 17, 18, just as a part-time job, if I'm being completely mm. honest with everyone to earn money to go out at the weekends. You know, I wasn't any different to any other kind of 17, 18, 19 year old that basically lived for the weekends. I'm, you know, I'm not gonna lie around that. So I got into coaching basically because I was getting paid, I don't know, 20 pounds a session. And I thought, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy coaching. I enjoy, I, you know, I love football and this is funding my weekend. Um, and then after probably two or three years of doing that, you realise actually I've got real passion for this and it's not as easy as just putting kind of balls, bibs and cones out and there's lots of layers to coaching. And it became a real obsession and, and passion in terms of um, uh, understanding what a good coach, you know, what a good coach have is, has in his armory. And then you layer on top of that, as I kind of started to work in the academy program and you start to work with better players, you know, the better players demand more from their coaches. Um, and it just kind of snowballed into there, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if I answered the question. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a master. No, at, I'm, no. a, I'm a complete master at waffling. So, uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's great. It's good. If, if I go off on a tangent, pull me back. Pull me back on, on no, it's, it's, it's great to pick your brains and everything and find out a bit more about you as a coach. One in question, uh, question I'm quite interested in, actually, we haven't written it down, but in terms of obtaining like your badges and qualifications mm. to become a coach, how tough is that and how much does that take a lot of work? Is it easy, difficult? What, what's that like? Yeah, that that's a really, really good question. And I was actually thinking about that when I was when I was driving in to, to get my laptop and jump on. <clears throat> So obviously I went into coaching quite early and I was quite fortunate that um, when I was at college, I did my level one and level two. And at the time, um, you could go on and do your level three if you pass those courses. So I did my level one and level two and um, I kind of sailed through them quite quickly. Um, and that wasn't, that's not a, an arrogance. And I'll explain the story as we go on. And then I did my level three, which is UA for B. And I did my UA for B at the age of 20, I think. And the rules have changed now. I think you have to be a certain age before you can do UA for B. I don't know the exact rules, but I was fortunate that wasn't, that rule wasn't in place back then. Um, mm. So I did my level one, level two um, and UA for B all before my 21st birthday. Um, and then I became a little bit obnoxious, if I'm being completely honest. And I thought, right, I'm going to be, I want to get my UA for A license as early as possible and show everyone that I'm this kind of super coach and I'm the best coach around and whatever else. And I actually competed my UA for A license before my 25th birthday. Um, wow. Amazing. So I did that. I did all that quite quickly without ever realizing that just obtaining badges doesn't make you a good coach. And, you know, I hadn't really made many mistakes in my coaching journey. Um, and I'll be honest with you, that kind of early period of my coaching journey, if I look back at it, you know, I was probably a little bit obnoxious, I'll be honest with you. And I was probably a little bit um, headstrong in terms of thinking just because I attained my UA for a license before the age, I can't remember, I think it was 20, just before my 25th birthday, I think I got it, or it was around my 25th birthday. Um, that I'd almost crack coaching 
and then um you know a certain Jude Bellingham comes into your life and you realize that he needs more than just you know coaching badges and then you have scenarios like you know I recently moved up to Sunderland I took Sunderland's first team and you know um, that kind of two or three weeks that I took the first team, you realise you can have as many coaching badges as you want, but if you haven't got the skill set to deal with everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, really fortunate. You know, it's really humbled me. And what it has done is um, I feel it's given me some more kind of um, kind of strings to my bow in terms of the young players that I've dealt with over the last 10 years and some of the experiences that I've had in the last 18 months has made me realise that I've still got a lot of work to do. Um mm. And I've still got, I've still got a lot of learning to, to kind of take on board. Yeah, yeah. We'll get onto the Jude stuff a bit later because I know that a lot of people watching this will be very interested to know all sort of his journey on, into the um, professional game. Um, but sort of joining the Blues, um, obviously you you're at the academy in the Blues for fourteen years. Uh, some of your toughest and some of your best moments, probably as a, a coach at the Blues. Like, what was like, what were those particular moments like? Um, if I'm talking purely, if you want to talk purely around coaching, I mean, the, the, the best players are, um, your best coach educators, but they're also the toughest on you because, um, they're wired slightly differently in terms of, um, and I'm talking about the top of the top, you know, they, they, they want every session to be absolutely on point. Um, they want to feel like they're being stretched and challenged. Um, the best players want hard work. You know, they, they want they want the sessions to be challenging physically, mentally, technically, tactically. They want all those things. Um, so if we're talking just in terms of those types of things, and I think the difficulty you have with, with development is you, you, you always, you've got one eye on now, so what you're seeing in front of your eyes, and you've also got one eye on, right, what, what does this look like in four, five, six years' time? Um, so you, you've got to try and get a balance with your coaching around, um, what they need right now and the struggles that they might be going through, which actually are going to help them in four or five years, if that makes sense. Mm. And I think that's it, you know, anyone that works in player development, that's the real art, you know, that's the kind of, that's the real skill of a, a top developer is getting the balance between, you know, what you see right in front of your eyes and what is happening, which is actually going to help them in um, four, five, six, seven years time. Um, so I don't have any real specific examples of that in terms of real challenges. I always go back when people say challenges, the challenges for me are always the best players. The best players always challenge the coach, always. Mm. So, so what's the difference between coaching the best players who really want it and really want to push and progress? Like what, what's the difference between the two players that aren't, aren't really bothered, they're just there to play the football, enjoy it, have a good time, and the players that want to really progress what makes that so challenging to coach them? Yeah, because I think what, what, what and again, that's a really, really good question because the, rea- the, the figures there for everyone to see, not everyone that goes into academies and professional football, I think 1%, I think was the last figure that I heard, 1% go on and play on the Premier League. I don't know what the figure is that actually come out and actually play professionally. Um, so I think the co- for anyone that's working in academy football, you've got to get a balance between... Um, obviously stretching and challenging the best players, but understanding that every player there has to have fun. It, and I think some, this is just my personal opinion, some academies up and down the country have got that balance skewed a little bit. And I, you know, I use a phrase about premature professionalism. 
So you will see like under tens turning up to games and they look immaculate. You know, they look like little, little England players in terms of they're just immaculately dressed and all those types of things. Now, listen, there are some magnificent work that there, well, there is some magnificent work that goes on in academy football and I'm not one to criticise people, but I, I think that the danger of academy football and going back to your question is, I think if you just, if you have a level of um, professionalism and what I mean by professionalism around the coach designs the session properly, make sure the sessions have a real teaching and learning element um, I think that's the only real level of professionalism you need, if that makes sense. Now, there's other things in terms of safeguarding and child protection and welfare, which I think are non-negotiable. But I think in terms of making sure that every kid has the same trainers or making sure they've got to wear a certain pair of boots or, um, you know, they can't, you know, I, I spoke to one person on academy, you know, they can't wear... Um, gloves and snoods, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, freezing, it's freezing cold, you know, just little things like that. And it's like, just let them wear gloves and snoods, for God's sake, yeah. old. old. And mm. I think that that's where I think academy football gets a little bit skewed in terms of what it looks like. But as long as the coach has got a balance between making sure the session is designed around teaching and learning, but it's fun and enjoyable, because for me, the academy football should be the best time of a kid's life. It should be the best time of their life. And they should never come out of the academy program saying, I didn't like that coach or I didn't enjoy my experience. Now, that's going to happen at some point. The maths, there's 20 boys in an age group. Not all 20 boys are going to like their coach. I fully appreciate that. That's life. You know, there's 20 people in an office, people working in an office. Not everyone's going to get on. That is life. But I do think for, for academies, my personal opinion is make sure there's teaching and learning because they're there to get taught and learn. They're there to get taught. They're there to learn, but make sure it's underpinned by just real love and care and make sure it's underpinned by loads of fun. Just make it really for them because if they're enjoying themselves, they're going to listen more and Mm. they're going to take more information on. And that sounds really simple, but it's as simple as that. And is, is that objective the same from say under sixes all the way up to under 21s? Is that the same throughout? Would you say? Yeah, again, really good question. Um, I think I think as you get up towards the kind of twenty ones, you are one step away um, yeah. from from first team football. So mm-hmm. you have to you have to, and this is what I'm trying to say. You almost you've almost got two lenses all the time. Mm. Um, and for me, as you get older through the age groups, you have to prepare them um, for what the next mm. step looks like. If that makes sense, and that's no yeah. different. If you're an under six you're trying to prepare them for under sevens. If you're an under seven, you try and prepare them for under eights. And that's no different at kind of youth team under 21s level. You're trying to prepare them for the next stage. Now, um, this is just my own personal opinion again. I don't think just because you get to under 21s level, the fun and enjoyment level should just go out of it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I just think the fun and enjoyment looks different to what it does at under sixes. Mm -hmm. So I go back to the point that I made. Good players want want, want to work hard. Good players... Um, want sessions to be challenging. So for me, under 21's level, session design, you know, how your environment, how you deal with the players at that level, their fun element will come from knowing they leave the training ground going, that was a really good session today. That was really good. We worked really hard. I understand this, I understand that. So they, they will, they, the top players will kind of draw fun from that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah completely. Fun, yeah. Fun, yeah. Fun from a six-year-old 
looks completely different. They just want to whack a ball in the net and run around and, you know what I mean? And just have a massive smile face and just play games all the time. And I might be doing people a disservice at pre-academy level. I apologise for that. But you understand my difference. Fun Mm -hmm. looks different at different age groups, but it still should be fun. The context is just slightly different. Oh, yeah, cool. that's amazing. That is. I mean, that just sounds exactly what it should be, really, because I've had plenty of teams I've played in personally where it's been too much about... And obviously, you have like coaches as well, I'm sure, that um, you uh, uh, <laughs> nearly, nearly did it again. Jamie and Zach, I'm sure you guys have had coaches before that have like just been caring about the result too much yeah, or caring about 100%. all that. So listening to that sounds like mm. really appealing, really attractive to listen to. It's like what you would want from that young age to go into. Yeah, I feel, I feel I feel so many people our age like drop out of football because it becomes a bit too serious. I was with mm. Kidderminster Academy for a bit and a lot of people sort of they after after that sort of period in their lives they sort of give up with football because they say oh, it's becoming far too serious and it's far too you know too strict yeah. diet wise playing wise you know and it is just it's just not for them but it's nice to hear that i mean is that very much the birmingham city not just for you but the very much the birmingham city model in you are there to work hard progress as much as you can look for that first team spot but to enjoy it is that something the club looks to do as a whole as well Oh, listen, I've still got a lot of friends there and I know they've had a lot of changes in the academy, but the people that are still there, that I was there, your um, Steve Spooners, your Danny Barham's, your Martin Laurentian Shores, Marcus Painters, um, James Brains, you know, they they worked with me for the best part of almost, I mean, it'd be up to maybe a decade. And I don't see them in terms of the way they see the game being chasmic shifts. Um, but I also do appreciate that they're obviously going in a slightly different direction as, a, as an academy. Um, so, you know, people have to kind of trade off stuff when um, obviously, you know, they, they go in a different direction. But I would imagine if, if I'm being honest, I, that would still be the same kind of ethos. Um, and I think if you look up and down the country at some of the best academies in the country, they wouldn't be too far away from that either. Um mm. You know, it, it's not, don't get me wrong, it's not all kind of high fives and skipping down the corridors and, you know, just constant jokes and banter. But I think the point I'm trying to make is I think top practitioners, top players, they enjoy working hard. So the enjoyment comes from making sure that it's done properly, but it's done properly with, you know, wrapped in real kind of care, um, whether it be sports science, analysis, you know, coaching on the grass, Um it's always wrapped around working really, really hard, but making sure there's some real logic um, to why they're doing things. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Can I uh, just to ask you, Mike? Really, in terms of the players that you brought through, especially from Birmingham, your Damari Gray's, your Redmonds, Bellingham, even was there a kind of a moment where you did you know that Damari and that were going to go up into that level, like the Premier League, or was there that kind of feeling of oh he could make it? Was there a moment where you realised, or was it just to go with it and see what happens? I, I don't think you ever really do, and I think if anyone tells you, you know, uh, he was always destined for this, yeah. I think I think they're being a little bit naive. And I, you know, obviously Jude's very topical at the moment, but even with a Jude, you, you, you and you, no one, including myself, and, I, and, I, and I've got a good relationship with him and I feel like we're fairly close and I would say this to his face I th- and I probably have said it to him, you know, I couldn't have predicted 
what he's done. No one could. I don't think his parents could have predicted what he's done. And that's the same for all those boys that you've you've mentioned. Were they all good players? Nathan was excellent, you know, but, you know, Nathan got an opportunity. Was it in the Europa League he scored? Was mm. it the Europa League Yes, game? it was, yes. Right off his right um, and scored down to the goalies. They couldn't start off the left and he cut down yeah. to the goalies right. I remember, the, I remember the game. Damari, Damari for me got in Birmingham's team probably six months too early um, because of where the club were at from a, a financial perspective. You know, they had a little period there where they, a lot of young players got some really, really good opportunities. Jack Butland's uh, Callum Riley, Mitchell Hancock's, yeah. um, Wes Harding, you know, that little mm. period, um, you know, because where the club was at, th- th- they got opportunities. But Damari probably was a, probably about six months too early. I remember watching him thinking, this boy's going to be a good player, but we just need him to get his man's legs a little bit. He still had like teenager legs. And I think what people did see when he started to develop that power, that kind of pace, um, obviously he went from strength to strength. Um, and then even, you know, even Jude, you know, people forget Jude wasn't, Jude wasn't in the first couple of squads for the, the opening start of the season. You know, he, I think it was day, well, he played against Portsmouth, didn't he, in the yes. cup. So he got, he got his debut in the cup. Um, and then obviously he came off the bench against Stoke and, you know, the rest is history. Um, but even what, one thing I always say about Jude, you know, and I watched, some of Jude's games and he wasn't great all the time. And I'm not doing him a disservice because he was, a, he was a first year scholar. He was a 16 year old boy playing the championship. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't great all the time. But what I think blues fan did see, they seen the potential. They seen glimpses of genius. They seen glimpses of wow, um, which made them keep the faith. And it's always, it's always nice, isn't it? When you've got a local boy on the pitch, because yeah. You know, all those, you know, your Mitchell Hancock's, your Callum Riley's, your Damari Gray's, Nathan Redmond's, your Jack Butland's, Damari Gray's, even now your George Hall's, your JJ's, your Job's, your Nico Gordon's, Marcel Oakley's, you know, you can go on. They're all local boys. And I think, you know, what Blues fans have always been really, really good at, they've they've stuck with the local boys, haven't they? They've really stuck mm. with them because they're boys off the terraces. Um, but yeah, going back to your question again, I've waffled, apologies, but... Um, Going back to your question, I don't think you can ever really predict, right, they're going to go and play in the Premier League. I don't think you can. I think you can say, look, they're talented boys. There's an element of luck. There needs to be, a, you know, a, a part of a plan. I'd, I'm not a huge fan of saying, oh, they, you know, there was this real detailed plan because development's so messy. You've just got to kind of, you know, flow with it at times. Um there's got to be look. There's got to be opportunity. You know, all those all those boys got given an opportunity. And the point I was making around Jude, one thing the club deserve a huge amount of credit with. They stuck with him. You know, just yeah. you know, there was a few games where maybe he didn't impact the game or didn't do this, but they stuck with him. So they deserve a lot of credit with that. And and how much of a say do you have when it comes to moving these players up to the first team? Is it predominantly your decision, or it was Claude Tet at the time? So say for someone like Bellingham, does the decision mainly come from him? Or is, is it you who makes that decision? No, I think, listen, at first team level, and it's the same at the club that I'm at at the moment, um, you can only control players' programmes probably up to kind of t- under-21s level. After that point, they've got to earn the right to get in the team because mm-hmm. no manager no manager's going to um, kind of throw a boy in, um, one, if they don't deserve it, and he's not going to consistently get picked. 
um, if he if he I don't know what the phrase he doesn't do his job properly. Um, so I think especially Cavalry football where the, you know Blues up and down up and down the country, you can control their programs probably up to under twenty ones. After that point, it's solely down to the player. You know, the player's got to earn the right to go to that next stage and they've got to earn the right to stay in that next stage. Mm. Definitely. I suppose it's all about work ethic as well, isn't it? Like, you can be the most talented player in the world, but if you've got no ability to run about or no work ethic, you're not going to get very far, are you? 100%. Is, you know, and I know it sounds very simplistic, but I think a lot of those players that we've just discussed, I think the, the one thing that probably offset them um, against other boys that have maybe drifted out of the game would be that in terms of they've just done it properly. Um, and, you know, whether it's a Jude or anyone else, in particular in England squad, you know, uh, Madison, uh, Grealish, I know they probably won't let me, you know, won't let me uh, mention a Grealish, but they don't get... Yeah, we'll... <laughs> he's, him over he that. left. He left the yeah. man He's fine. He's all right now. He's, <laughs> he's a decent guy as well. You yeah. know? I feel like people give him a bit of a hard run. And I know that's a bit a bit weird for me to say, particularly for someone who definitely didn't appreciate that goal he scored against us in 2019. And it was a bit hard for us to sort of accept that. But he's a decent guy. So I feel like, you know, well, when I you think, say think, that word, yeah. yeah I, think, I think June and Jack, they're really good ambassadors for Birmingham as a city. Mm. I think both of them are, are representing the city. Um, mm. And, you know, as much as I know he plays for the, the other half, I think there there has to be an element of, um, you know, kind of fair play to him. I'm sure that's yeah. the, mm. back for Jude. I'm sure there's a there's a level of mutual understanding that they are two very talented boys. Mm. Um, but the point I was trying to make is, you, you know, you look at the 26-man England squad, you know, those players those players do not play at that level without having a level of kind of working hard and everyone else and dedication. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't happen. You don't play at that mm-hmm. level otherwise. Yeah, no, for sure. It's You've got to have that talent, but have that hard work and uh, work ethic as well. But a question I really want to ask is, when Jude scored that goal against Stoke, what was that moment like for you? Because for us as fans, it was amazing. But someone who's worked with Jude the majority of his playing career, I mean, what was that like for you? I... I this is a, a world exclusive um, and it's one of the biggest regrets that I have in football where I actually wasn't at the game. Oh, nice. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was in, um, so I can't, well, I, was, I was going to the O2, I think I was going to a boxing, um, I was going to a boxing match, I can't remember who it was. I can remember, the, I'm not a big boxing person, so I apologise. And the boxer was a really good boxer. It was a Ukrainian. Um, wasn't Klitschko Joshua, was it? No, nah, it wasn't Klitschko no. Joshua. Um, no, that was Wembley. That was... Anyway, uh, I went, yeah. I to, so, so I was I was actually down in London and obviously I didn't realise Jude was going to be in the squad, if I'm completely honest. If I knew he was even in the squad, then obviously I wouldn't have gone. Um, and uh, myself and another member of staff, and I am going to throw him under the bus here, um, myself and Marcus Painter, who was an ex-Blues player, we were going to the boxing together, so we were actually down in London. Um, and actually, I'll tell the full story, stuff it. So we were, we actually, so we were going to the, we were going to the boxing, we were going to the boxing um, on the evening, and we thought, right, we'll go and catch a game in London, which, which um, we could get to. So we went to, uh, we got tickets for Crystal Palace versus, I can't remember they played. It might have been Aston Villa, you know. 
It might have been Aston Villa. We're in the Palace end anyway. We're in the Palace end, so no worries. Um, so we're watching this game. We're not really watching it. And we're just kind of checking our phones, checking our phones, checking our phones. And um, obviously come up. I think this Stoke score first. Stoke went 1-0 up. Yeah. Yeah, yes. they did. Yeah. And then we scored to make it 1-1. Mm-hmm. So we're yeah. both sat there going like, yes, come on. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it went 2-1. And it took a while for it to come through on our phones. And Paint was like, I bet it's Jude. I bet it's Jude. <laughs> and it come up. Jude Bellingham, and we both, no word of a lie, in the Palace end, jumped <laughs> up and celebrated like Palace had scored. Oh, everyone, around us, everyone around us, <laughs> everyone around us, everyone around us, what the hell is <laughs> yeah. We oh, went absolutely mental. We went absolutely mental. And um, yeah, it was, a really, it was a really emotional moment for me. I'll be completely honest with you. And, you know, and, and paint to vouch you for this. We were actually getting some food afterwards, um, and my phone goes, and obviously it was Jude. Um, and I think after obviously his family, he, I was one of the phone calls he made. Um, and we had a really, really nice conversation and they're the, they're the memories that mean the most to me. I'll be honest with you. Um, mm. they had some really, really nice things, but that's one of my regrets. I'll be completely honest with you. I, um, I unfortunately wasn't at that game, but it, you know, Jude says it and I'll say it, it gives me goose pimples just in terms of, I know how hard he's worked for that moment. Mm. Um, I think deep down. He would want it to be kind of beat three players, put it in the top corner. <laughs> mm. um, but you'll never take that moment away from him. It was, it was just, it's, it's iconic, and it will be iconic for, for the rest of Blues' history. Mm. Oh yeah, like he, he's just loved by us anyway. Like no matter what happens, so it's, it's one of them. Just going back for half a second about what you said about when you see Jude doing the little things at the start. Obviously, he had them, you know, because he was young. He's still trying to get his adult legs. But it was the little things he did at the age of 16 watching him for me. Like the way he'd, because he was obviously in the middle three, but he'd stop, spin and go back towards our goalkeeper for a goal kick. And he'd be receiving the ball at 16. And there were the kind of things where we kind of went, this kid's got something. It's yeah. The enthusiasm, yeah. And I think that's the, because the, the, obviously, and, I, and I've said this to a lot of people, I, I worked with him for such a long period of time and you work with him every single day. And when you're in the eye of the storm, I don't know if that's the right phrase to use, but when you're like in the mix of it, you almost get used to all the things you see him doing. Yeah. And I didn't really appreciate, and I'll hold my hands up to this, I didn't really appreciate actually how good he was until I was like you guys and I'm sat in the stand and I'm watching him play at St Andrews. And I'm thinking, this boy's 16 years old and he's playing in one of the toughest leagues in the world. And that's, they're the moment, people say, oh, when did you know? I probably knew 10 games into, 10, 10 games into his um, professional career at St Andrews, they were the, they were probably the moments where I've gone right. Okay, this boy's special, and I know mm. that sounds well. What you worked for him all the way through the mm. academy. That's he did some wonderful things in the academy, and he was a very talented boy. But there's lots of talented boys in the academy system up and down, up and down the country. When I really, really knew is when I watched him do it, not consistently, but I've seen glimpses. Yeah. Of seeing your old boy doing it at St Andrews. That's when I kind of sat back and went, okay, this boy's this boy's special. Mm. And one thing people mention about him quite often, which I think goes underappreciated, is maturity for his age, because he's obviously such a young lad. He conducts himself brilliantly. He speaks so well. How much or how important do you think that is for, for a young player coming up to have that level of maturity and composure in their game? It always makes me laugh, because if you looked at some of our WhatsApp conversations, I, I would <laughs> Uh, but listen, uh, you know, I, I should, I'm the adult in this conversation, so I, sh- I probably should, I should probably should lead by example a little bit more. Um, 
Yeah, listen, I think he doesn't play at the level he plays at if he's got a level of immaturity in terms of the way he conducts himself. One of Drew's biggest qualities is he could always go into the next challenge and he would always take his time with it, but he would assess, uh, right, this is what I needed to do to survive at this level. So an example would be when he was a 15 playing in the under-18s or another 16 playing in the 23s, or whether it be him making a jump up to the first thing, whether it's a 17-year-old going into Bruce Dortmund's dressing room, you know, whether it's a 17-year-old going to the Euros, people forget he was 17 when he went to, to the European Championships. He is, he's got really high emotional intelligence and what he will do is he won't come in a ball in a china shop, he will sit and assess and he'll go, right, okay, this is what I need to do to survive. And then what he does do very quickly, once he's kind of figured out his environment, um, he will then very rapidly um, go, right, how do, I, how do I become the best at this? Um, and that's just his mentality. He wants to be the best at everything. Um, mm. He wants to be, you know, one of the best players in the world, and he won't stop until until he feels he's 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 reached that point. I think mm. even even when he get, if he gets that point, he still yeah. won't stop. And, and what do you think of him so far this World Cup? <clears throat> yeah, he's been all right, hasn't he? It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> one way of putting it. <laughs> I always um, we always have a laugh and a joke. So every whenever I speak to him. I, I always say like, oh, you're one of the worst players I've ever worked with. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't for me, don't know where. <laughs> yeah. uh, and believe me, he gives it back twice as much. He gives me, you are the worst coach I have ever, ever had. And if it wasn't for me, no one would know your name. And you know, <laughs> you know, the, you know the thing that really hurts me is actually true if it wasn't for him. <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah, but listen, he's, he's done really well. I'm just not surprised anymore. You know what I mean? I'm not surprised. I'm not amazed. Everywhere he goes, he just he just affects it, and he affects it in a positive way. You know, he's rapidly, in my opinion, this is he's rapidly become the best player at Dortmund very, very quickly. I know they had Haaland there, um, and Haaland obviously, you know, from a positive perspective, took a lot of limelight and a lot of attention away from Jude, but. Some of the stuff, some of the stuff that he did last year was just ridiculous. Um, but Haaland obviously took that um, limelight away from him, and I knew there would be more tension on him with Haaland leaving Dortmund. And I always knew if Gareth was going to pick him and Gareth was going to trust him, um, he was going to do the things that he's done. Now I just hope, obviously France coming up, um, and hopefully mm. beyond that, um, the world gets to see more of him. Um, because um, it's almost as if like he's he's got a little bit of momentum in terms of the quality of his performances. Yeah, Definitely. I mean, what can you expect from Jude if he does start on the? Um, is, it, is it on Saturday the game? I can't remember. Yeah, that. yeah. Um, it'll be completely focused. Um, won't be phased. Mm. That's one of the things that just amazes me about him. Um, really, really funny because. He, um, he, he, um, obviously, I'm working at Sunderland Football Club uh, at the moment, and he came, he asked to come to the playoff finals. So we played the playoff finals against Wickham back end of last year, and he was, his season had finished, and he said, Oh, I'm back in the country. Can I come to the game? So obviously, reluctantly, we had to get him some tickets. Um, but after the game, he was like, I was really nervous. And I was like, What? And he was like, Yeah, like, because I'm not playing and because I'm not in control. 
I just felt really nervous. Obviously, I wanted you to win. I wanted you know Sunderland to do well, and I was just really, really nervous around the game because I, because I can't remember the last time I've gone to a football game and been nervous. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, you play in front of like eighty thousand people," and he and his his answer was, "I don't get nervous playing football because I'm in control because mm-hmm. it's something I'm in control of." So. Um, Look, I don't. I think he will understand the magnitude of the game. Of course, he will. There will be an element of excitement because of his mentality. He will be like, right, okay, I'll show you how good I am. Um, and ultimately, he's a team player, isn't he? So he, he, in the back of his head, you know, he will be, he will be desperate to win the World Cup mm-hmm. because that's that's what he's been like from the age of twelve. If he didn't win. You know, you would soon know about it. He wanted to win everything, every five-a-side competition, every running drill, every passing drill in the gym. He wanted to be the strongest. He wanted to be the smartest in the analysis. Um, but that's just his mentality. Um, I'm really looking forward to Saturday. Obviously, I hope England win. Um, and, you know, I really hope I hope he has a good game. Mm-hmm. No, fingers so- crossed they can... Uh- take it all the way it'd be so amazing to see Jude Bellingham lift that trophy yeah. and maybe become future England captain one day but in terms of like sort of just bringing it back to Blues a little bit in terms of like the current sort of academy we've got on everything in terms of some of the younger players we've got in terms of like Josh Williams, Jordan James, George Hall, Joe Bellingham as well yeah. how far do you think those sort of players could go? Look, you, you, they're all talented. All those people you've mentioned, they're all really, really talented boys. And, you know, I'll, I'll stay on track with the blue stuff. And I don't want to go back to the, the Jude stuff. But the point I made around the Jude stuff is the club deserved a lot of credit at that point because what they did is they persisted with Jude. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people won't, won't remember the games where Jude wasn't particularly good. You know, he was good for, you know, large amounts of those games. Don't get me wrong. Now, for me, those those lads you just mentioned, the, the club are going to have to be really, really brave in terms of playing with them and persisting with them because young players, what comes with young players sometimes is mistakes. Um, and, you know, sometimes with those mistakes, you know, you've got to try and help them through those periods. Now, the, the fortunate thing, I say fortunate thing, well, the quality that a Jude had is, you know, he didn't make many mistakes um, in terms of when he played for Blues. But, you know, you can't compare every boy that comes through, you know, Birmingham's academy to Jude Bellingham because I think it's, I think that's mm. grossly unfair. Um, but those boys are really, really talented boys. And I think whether it's at, at Blues or any other at the, end of the club, young players need a consistent run of games. Mm-hmm. Um, they need um, a consistent period of playing. Um, now, I know they're in and around the team. Ultimately, they've got to get in the team. I fully appreciate that. And I'm not telling... John Eustace, you know, that he's, that, that, you know, how to pick his team because I think he's done a really, really good job. But, you know, if you're George Hall, a Job, um, a JJ, a Josh Williams, you know, whoever, you know, Nico, I know Nico Gordon's been injured. Um, but if the Blues fans are going to see the best of them, um, they're going to need, you know, a consistent run of games. Um, after that point, it will be up to them in terms of, how hard they want to listen, you know, how hard they want to work, you know, keeping their feet on the ground. Um, at that point, it will, it will be up to them. But I think that, you know, those those boys in particular, I think there's some really, really talented boys there. Um, I think there's some really, really talented boys. And, you know, Birmingham are very lucky because, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because if, if you play them, um, you're actually creating value, aren't you? You're creating a lot of value in your team. You know, if those three boys in particular 
a Job, a George Hall, a JJ, for instance. I know they play similar-ish types of positions, but if they play week in, week out, you've got, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 million pounds worth of um, assets in your team. So um, that's the that's the the upside of bringing through young players. The downside is sometimes, you know, you've got to try and, you know, keep persisting with them when they, when they make mistakes. Yeah, of course. Like, I think the fear for us is there's that, but then also you've got, it's, it's renowned for our academy. We always seem to lose our best young players and they get poached off pretty quickly. And the fear for us is obviously your George Halls, especially there's always rumours. I think Leeds United apparently in the summer wanted him, you know, and that fear always comes back and, I suppose that was the first part of my like answer and question. The second part is, what do you actually think of Eustace? You know, as a coach, do you what do you think of his style, how he does it? If you're allowed to say, um, yeah, listen, we played you recently, and um, you know, yeah. I yeah. <laughs> don't remind us. We we um, we did okay. Um, so the, so we did a, obviously a lot of analysis around you guys. Look, I think he's a really co- really good coach. I think they're really well organised. Um, they're very well organised out of possession. Um, <clears throat> you, um, you're only as good as sometimes as the card you dealt, and I don't mean that disrespectfully to. No, to, I know what you mean. Yeah. To the to the Blues players, but what what um, John Eustace has done, he's he's recognised strengths within the team, he's recognised weaknesses within the team, and gone right. This is the best way um, I can get results out mm-hmm. of. Um, this is the best way I can get results out of this current crop of players. Mm. And it will be interesting over kind of the back end of the season, how he evolves that and what does it look like next season? Because I think that's when you really start to see, um, if you look at kind of top, top coaches that have been successful at um, other clubs, and I haven't got anyone that come to mind, is how they evolve it, you know, and how they keep evolving where they're currently at. So it's actually a question I think he's done really, really well. Um, my bias in me would say I would like to see some of the young players play a little bit more. But at the same time, um, I understand if I was him, it's his first managerial job. Um, he doesn't want, if, this is just my opinion, it's his first managerial job. Obviously, he would want to be highly successful within that job. Um, and, you know, sometimes persisting more with kind of senior players is the right thing to do at the right time. And one thing I will say in, in John's defence as well is obviously he people are very quick to forget in football. He came in uh, over the summer and it was like doom and gloom, wasn't it? Blues going to get relegated. Um, you know, everywhere he looked, it was, you know, Blues squad. I think, were they favourites to go down or second favourites? Yeah, yeah, we were. The bookies yeah. had us with That's us, Reading and Rotherham, it was. So. Mm. And and now what you sit in mid-table, I think, I don't know, it's off my head yeah. and you know, if you were to beat um, us uh, just before the break, I think would you gone into top six? We would be, we'd be yeah, top we six would've. by Millwall. Uh, yeah, you can't listen. You can't. You can't argue with with. We can't argue with that, can you? Mm. You know, no, no oh, one. Yeah. Whether you're the Blues owners, whether you're on the board at Blues, whether you're a Blues fan, you can say I don't like the style of play. I don't like style like that. Well, the proof's in the pudding, isn't it? You want the favourites to go down. You're mid-table, and before the Christmas break, you could have been top six. Mm. You know, it doesn't really get any better than that. Of course, of course. And obviously, you're at Sunderland now. So why the change from Birmingham to Sunderland? <coughs> oh, God, straight put right on the spot. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering when it was a bit direct. That was like... <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Yeah, it's a good question. Look, Birmingham will always be... I, was, I spent the best part of 14 years there. Um, you know, I'm conflicted in my head because... Um, 
obviously making making the move now has helped me transition into first team football, which is something that I've always had an itch to do. So from that perspective, you know, part of my brain says, you know, I made the right decision. But at the same time, um, I've got a lot of love and a lot of affection for the, well, the city of Birmingham, the football club and the people that work there. So, you know, if if I'm being really kind of open, you know, part of me thinks it ended too soon. And I know I've been there 14 years um, and people say, well, 14 years. I wasn't ready to leave. It was almost something that um, happened quite quickly. Obviously, um, the academy had a little bit of a change around because I was kind of the kind of longest serving member of staff there. I kind of got crowbarred into being academy manager. Mm. Um, and it was a job that I never wanted to do. I'll be completely honest with you. Um, it's a job that I have no interest in. And I've got a lot of respect for academy managers up and down the country because I just think it's a really difficult job and quite a boring job, if I'm being completely honest. Um, and I got kind of crowbarred into that. And then the club wanted to make some changes within how the academy structure worked, which didn't sit quite right with me. Um, and I had a difficult decision. Do I kind of sit on my hands and just kind of see the way it panned out? Um, or do I kind of step outside my comfort zone and Sunderland contacted me. They knew that I was a little bit unsure of where my future looked. Um, and I decided to, to make the move. And I originally came up to Sunderland um, to oversee kind of individual player development. So work with individuals, work with some of the best young players. Um, I did that for the best part of what, three months, I think it was. And then um, unfortunately we had a change of manager and they asked me to take the first team, which... Um, was one of the best learning experiences you could ever wish for. Um, but it was also like a sledgehammer to your heart because you get thrown into a scenario where, <clears throat> you know, from a, um, a kind of confidence perspective, the players were kind of on the floor. Um, it's the first experience I've had in terms of, you know, how do I get these players going? Um, we lost both games that, that I kind of took charge of, which um, I was kind of, quite naive around some of the decisions I made. But one thing I'll always give myself credit for, I'm quite I'm very reflective and I learn very, very quickly. Um, and then obviously Alex Neal came in um, and kept me up with the first team. We developed a really, really strong relationship. We have very similar views on the game. And I've, you know, stayed with the first team. Alex obviously, you know, um, kept me up from that point. And then obviously Alex moved on and, and Tony's kept me around, Tony Mowbray, who's Again, you know, I'm very fortunate that in the last kind of 14 months I've had Alex Neal, um, whose experience at kind of managing environments um, is first class. And then Tony Mowbray has managed over 800 league games as a young coach. You know, I still consider myself as a, as a young coach. You know, I've had, I've, you know, I'm really fortunate I've worked day to day with those two people um, who have just got you know vastly more experience than me so you know it helps me reflect on the time for those kind of couple of weeks that I took the first team <clears throat> just how good though these people are that manage first team environments and how naive I was around some of the decisions I made but um yeah so that's how I ended up at Sunderland you know I'm really enjoying it the the, the fans are incredible you know it's just mm. just the monumentally big football club um they gave me some stick over the two games that I lost, and rightly so. But slowly but surely, I think they're they're semi realising that I'm not a complete idiot. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, really, really enjoying it. As I said, really conflicted because if I'm being completely open, I think my time ended before I wanted it to do at Birmingham. 
you know, I felt Jude was almost like the tipper, you know, it was the starting point of something quite special that yeah. I felt that I could really accelerate some of those boys in terms of getting them through. Mm. Um, obviously that, that didn't happen, but now I'm doing something that has always been an ambition of mine, which is obviously working with first team players. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, that's interesting you say that because like, I was thinking of asking this and you, you're well within to say no to this, but like, I was wondering what your sort of relationship with some of the managers and some of the board and the owners were like, because obviously with your position being not in one of the most firm positions, obviously like you're saying that um, uh, when some of those academy players reach first team football, it's up to them and it's up to the managers then. But like, what was your relationship like with those people? Did you get along well with them? Does, was it a bit conflicting at times? Yeah, like anything in football. You're talking about blues here, obviously. Not uh, yeah, blues, yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't 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 let me answer that Sunday. Uh, yes. Yeah, like anything football you get on with people, you don't get on with people. Um I think, you know, if I'm I want to be really open and transparent really because I think I think it's really important. I think obviously uh Dong um Dong Ren um almost whenever people mention his name, it like turns into his, like this absolute hatred um for him and listen it, i'm not going to comment on the decisions he made and you know his period in charge of the football club but one thing that i will stick up for dong around is um if it wasn't for dong in my opinion um birmingham city wouldn't have got 25 million pound for jude bellingham now right. jude bellingham um Jude Bellingham made sure before he left the football club that the football club got reimbursed for the mm -hmm. kind of 10, 11 years worth of work goes into him. And, his, and that says everything about him and his family in terms of they wanted to make sure the club got the right amount of money. But there were periods when I was at the football club where, um, uh, if I'm speaking really openly, um, the, there was some pressure to maybe not cash in on Jude, but you know, is Jude as good as what people are making out, if that makes sense? And what Dong did, Dong went, no, 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 you know, we're, we're sticking with this boy. This boy is the future of Birmingham City. So, you know, I will I will stick up for him up to this point in terms of, I know there was a lot of decisions that he that he got wrong and catastrophically wrong, but the, the whole Jude situation, um, Dong really stuck with, with Jude and really believed in the boy. Um, yeah. So in terms of board, um, that's one thing I will say about Dong. I wouldn't say we were, we were best mates, but he was always fairly consistent with me. Um, and that's, I can only judge, you know, judge the person that's in front of my eyes. Mm. Um, obviously Pep gave Jude his debut, similar to, to, to Dong. Pep believed in Jude. Um, and played him and, and gave him the environment to be successful and gave him an opportunity. Um, obviously, Lee came in and um, Lee, people forget, obviously, Lee, you know, I think the, the club were, they looked like they going to get relegated until Lee came in and Lee saved, Lee Bowie obviously, you know, saved them in the championship. Um, and then obviously I left at the start of the following season and for whatever reason, it kind of petered out with Lee. But Lee was always good with me, I have to admit. Um, Ita, I'll be honest with you, there was no relationship with Ita. Ita didn't really have a huge amount of interest in the academy. Um, so there was no no relationship there, if I'm being completely honest. Um, who was before Pep? Gary Monk, again, 
no real relationship if i'm being completely honest there wasn't really any um i don't think there was a huge amount of interest from that perspective and then who was before i mean i've been there so long who's before gary uh it would have been it would have been yeah it it was cultural that's it yes cultural yeah yeah, again not a huge amount of interest in what was going (laughs) on academy then i think who was it gianfranco gianfranco what a gent what a great guy um again I, I i think i think he had other priorities when he came into the football because they spent a lot of money didn't they when when he was at the football club um so i think he had other priorities gary Rout was always very good um mm-hmm. after me i think he was very good he was very balanced showed an interest in the academy uh chris Hewton, you know i can't speak highly enough of chris Hewton. i thought mm-hmm. chris was first class um so yeah some some that i have good relationships with that I thought were really engaging and really wanted to understand what was going on at the football club. Some were just purely focused on the first team and didn't really want to have, um, didn't really want to have um, an opinion or didn't really want to um, get involved in anything outside of their little bubble. Well, what about Harry Redknapp as well, obviously being such a big name? Yeah, Harry was good. I'll be honest with you. He was, he was really, really good. Again, Huge amount of money spent during that period. Um, it was a crazy time, I'll be honest, between, obviously, I can't remember, was, was, was Dong in at that point? I can't remember his name. You had, you had so. Harry Redknapp. I think Harry Redknapp was trying to do deals. Then you had Jeff Viter came in, was trying to do deals. And then you had Dong trying to do deals. And we had deals going off bloody everywhere. Um, so that was, it was a really interesting, that was um, a really interesting period. Um, but yeah, Harry, Harry was good. Obviously it didn't work out, but you know, you know, he, he was a really, really good guy. Again, would say we were best mates, but I think, um, he had a lot of charisma. He was very charismatic around the training grounds, really good with staff. Going into Redknapp very quickly. Sorry, Mike. Just thinking, cause obviously on deadline day with Redknapp, I think we signed something ridiculous, like 11 players, didn't we? Or something. Obviously, were you around the first team-ish at that point? Like, what was the carnage like the day after that? I imagine with the never new people walking into your kind of club, is it just mental? Yeah, so I was probably, was I, was I around the 18s and 21s at that point? I can't really remember, honestly, 14 years. I'm going to get off this call and think, oh, God, I should have spoke around that. Or, <laughs> you know, there's so many things in my head. Um, I think I remember that time I was thinking, how big is the 21s team going to be? Because this, <laughs> normally what happens with 11 new signings is, the kind of old guard, and I don't know who the old guard were at that time, you know, they kind of, I don't know if the, this is the right phrase, they almost get kind of bombed down to the 21s. Yeah. So I think the, we were thinking, God, how big is the 21s team going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was a crazy period. But, you know, Blues fans, you know, I was I was there for, what, 14 years. I, and it's, listen, it's not a, this is not a good thing, so I'm not saying it's a good thing, you almost kind of get used to the carnage, I'll be completely honest with you. And I think going back to my point, I think that's what John Eustace has done. He's just settled everything down. I just think yeah. there's a level of calmness in terms of what's going on at the football club, um, which I think is really important, which they haven't had for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the two things that, you know, you think about you know, John Eustace's period, it reminds me a lot of kind of Chris Hewton in terms of it, yeah. was, it was just steady, kind of got on, and Gary Rowett. I think, you know, it reminds me of kind of the Chris Hewton kind of Gary Rower um, times where it was just calm and consistent. Yeah, and we feel that kind of, it's the first time for me, I'm 29 now, I've been Blues fan all my life, first time since Hewton, maybe Rower era where 
I felt connected to the club again, like in terms of the win at Preston away when the players are pushing the other players into the fans and there's that moment we used to singing with the fans. And it's just them things now where we actually feel like we're genuinely in love with the kind of game again and we're enjoying it and we're loving it down there at the minute. And, you know, we just want, we're enjoying it and the boys seem to want to play for the fans again and it just, there's a good feeling down there at the minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I get that. Obviously, I've still got a lot of friends that work for the football club, so I, um, I, you know, I kind of get that vibe from them as well, which is which is good. As I said, Blues is um, <clears throat> Blues will always be in my in my heart because um, it's you know the majority of the time of my kind of coaching career that I spent there, and I'll have nothing but good things to say about the football club. Yeah, I mean that's been wicked. That has really talking about so many different things. It's been. It's it, there's so much to sum up, isn't there? Really, with like so much that's gone on in the club in those fourteen years, because it was two thousand and nine. Did you join? Was it in the Blues Academy? <sighs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll be honest, it just makes me feel really, really old. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it's it. It was a, it was a, it was an unbelievable time in my life. As I said. I wish it didn't end. If I wish I was still there, unfortunately, mm. in football, and you know, there will be many people that say this. You know, football moves on very, very quickly. Um, but yeah, um, two thousand nine—that just made me feel old. Because um, <laughs> you've yeah, been think... through a lot as well in terms of like Blues as a club in history. Because these last, God. like you say, fourteen years have been some of the most. Um, memorable moments at the club probably in its history really we've gone through uh, getting promoted in that 2009 season to finishing ninth in the Premier League and also winning the Carling Cup as well as getting relegated and playing in the Europa League but all the players we brought through as well players like Jordan Much and Nathan Redmond and Damari Gray I mean I don't know whether you'd been if, was that a bit too late to have been working with Jordan maybe yeah a bit Jordan I was, I was part time when Jordan came through, I think I joined the club full time um, the year that Jordan was in the Premier League. Um, mm. I think we, we sold him the year we got relegated, didn't we? I think more or less. I think so. It was my memory's a bit hazy on that now. I think it was around that time. Was it yeah. to Cardiff? We sold. Yes, him. he definitely went to Cardiff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, Jordan. I joined, well, I was part-time at the football club when Jordan was there. I joined the year, um, the season. I think we got relegated and I think we sold him, I think, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cardiff, that was the year that I joined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, they, you know, they've always produced good players and rightly so. Birmingham's an unbelievable city to recruit young footballers. Mm. Um, I think even now more than ever, especially, you know, even when the club sold Jude for a significant amount of money, um, you know, the, the club aren't, haven't got a huge, they haven't got bottomless pockets, you know what I mean? So I think young young players from obviously, you know, the, the Jude situation, you've then got your, um, the, your Cohen Crop, your Nico Gordons, your JJs, your George Halls, your Jobs, mm. um, your Josh Williams, Marcelo Cleese. Um, you know, if the, if if the club give them opportunities, that you know they've almost got this conveyor belt of just kind of regenerating the money. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but they've always they've always they've always produced good footballers, and I'm sure they will continue to do that, providing the young players get opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, wicked. Yeah, definitely. Uh, just last question from me, really. Sorry. In terms of obviously, we spoke a little bit about Jude. 
How do you reckon that goes for Job in terms of that must be quite difficult walking into the same football club, going on the same pitch where his brothers played? So, like, do you reckon that affects him a little bit? Do you reckon that's pressure or do you reckon he can kind of shrug it off and try and go with it? Yeah, he, look, he has, he has, he's, uh, he has the hardest job of anyone I've ever known. And I think he is, and I've said this to people before, <clears throat> I think he's the strongest character I have ever met. Um, because we can all have sympathy for him in terms of he is desperate to be the very best he can be, um, but we'll never truly understand what it's like to be Job, constantly being compared with his brother, constantly um, having you know that kind of I won't say weight, I won't say it's a weight, but having that constant nag uh, mm -hmm. in life. Um, and how he deals with that day to day, how he um, still has the level of charisma, the level of um, empathy and understanding work ethic, all those things. I think he's the strongest character that I've ever come across. Um, and he wants to be, he wants to be the very, very best as a very similar mindset. He is um, so driven. It is scary um to be the very very best i think people have to realize two things and this is my opinion around joe is he's he is job and i know that sounds really simple he's not jews no, he's, true. he's he's a different type of player he's extremely extremely talented and he has the potential um to play at the very very highest level there is no doubt in my head around that but at the same time <clears throat> at the moment um, and I mean this really respectfully when I say this, he hasn't been afforded the same opportunity as Jude in terms of a consistent run of games, yeah. if that makes sense. I agree. So, so until that point comes, um, I don't think people really can have an opinion on him. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I go back to my original point, you know, Jude wasn't great for every game that he played, but the club stuck with him, you know, Pep Quartet stuck with him, Dong Ren stuck with him. Um, and, you know, Pep, Dong, they deserve a lot of credit for, for Jude because they stuck with him. And the point I was trying to make around them is if those people at the highest level didn't make the decisions they made, the club don't get the figure that they got. Mm. And, it's the, and, and, and I bring it back to Job. Job is going to need um, a level of faith, a level of trust, um, he's going to need a level of patience, which I know Blues fans will give him because they will love him just like they've loved Jude because he's one of their own. <clears throat> but one thing I will, will, will say is I think people have to understand he is Job and he's a different type of player. Um, he's a different type of player and he needs a consistent opportunity to get some momentum in his game. Um, if he gets that, you know, I, I, you know the, I, I think the rest will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I agree. Because he started against you boys, didn't he? That was his first start of the season, yes. Yeah, yeah he first, started against yeah. and, and listen, I thought he did I thought he did all right. I think it's a really, really tough game. Um I think without going into too much detail, I felt uh, you know, in terms of the, what we wanted out of the game, how we wanted to execute the game plan, um, we did that really, really well from our side of the fence, which I think um didn't help um, Joe win the game. Um, 
And I think to throw him in um, live on Sky, um, he's, I think he, he played, he played 20 minutes prior to that, but hasn't played a huge amount of football. He got yeah. 5-10 maybe here and he there. Yeah. Like, I, think, I think the game before he played, I think he played 15-20 minutes the game before, I think, if I can remember rightly. I can't remember off the analysis that we did. But prior to that, he'd been getting 5 minutes, 10 minutes. Yeah. I think it's really difficult for even senior pros to, to get thrown into a game and to really affect it. I think that's really difficult for senior pros, let alone a 16, 17-year-old, just you know, first-year scholar. I thought that's really, really difficult for him to, to go and have a, a massive impact. But I thought he did all right in the game. Um, um, he was one of the ones we spoke around. Obviously, we weren't sure whether he was going to start or not. But in terms of our analysis, in terms of the threats we felt Birmingham had, he was one of you know five or six players that we highlighted that, that could cause us a problem. And of course, and it was obviously not to go too much into, because obviously I don't want to annoy you with Sunderland tactics and stuff, but it was clear that, there was kind of the moments where Jude or Bakuna got near the ball. The, the press was quite high on them. And it was, you know, you could see that I think Job definitely has a really good future. And, you know, it's annoying to be like, because I never want to be like, oh, it's Jude's brother. Because it's not, like you said, he is. He's Job Bellingham. He's not Jude. And people, I hope, respect that more. You know, you, you're gonna get you're gonna get some of the fans that that are a little bit more educated that will understand that, and you'll have some of the fans that um, will be a little bit you know will have their opinion. But that's football, and yeah. um, we know that. You know, people that work in industry know that. I think the the family, the Bellingham family, know that. Um, but one thing I will say is that you know. I think he's one of the strongest characters that I've ever come across in my life um, because to deal with what he has to deal with every single day is just remarkable. It's unbelievable. And I've got nothing but good things to say about him. Um, and I'm sure Birmingham will, will, will give him a run of games and give him an opportunity to show everyone just how good he is. For enjoying the suck. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry, my uni wife. I honestly, I was just we did a, a podcast uh, the other day, Mike, with Paul Robinson, and my uni wife. I oh, it's awful, absolutely. Awful. But I'm back for the last five minutes, so there you go. Right. Five seconds, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were just slagging you off for the last five. Oh. Minutes. <laughs> um, Brilliant. There you go. Brilliant. I, I know I said last question. No, you're gonna hate me, Mike. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm enjoying this. I'm really enjoying it. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, brilliant. So, obviously, you said you didn't have a pro football career yourself. And I'm yeah. assuming walking into a coaching kind of job, especially when you had to take over the first team for a couple of games. How does that work? Because I'm assuming a lot of first team managers have been through football themselves, obviously, apart from your Jose Mourinho's and that. Is it a different kind of, I imagine, there's earning the respect of the players when you haven't played pro football yourself? Is that a different ball game? How did that go? It's a, it's a really, really good question. It's a question that I've been asked a huge amount in particular probably in the last kind of, you know, three or four months because of um, obviously people asking me around the Jude stuff. Look, I, I, I can't control that. Um, no, I can understand, I can understand people's perspective with it in terms of, well, you haven't played the game, so how do you get respect? Or you haven't played the game, do you actually understand the game? And I fully have people's respect, um, I have people's respect for that, that opinion. You know, the, the thing that I always say, if you if you got, I don't know, any of those boys, George Hall, JJ, Job, um, I'm trying to think, Damari Gray, 
uh, Nathan Redmond, Jude Bellingham on the call and said, can you ask them the fact that, you know, Dodsey doesn't have a playing background. Do you think that hindered um, your progression as a footballer or do you, do you think that um, that was an issue for you in terms of, you know, him coaching you? You know, I'm fairly confident what they would say. Um, if, if you asked other people, I'm sure they'd have a different perspective. I know Tom Ross has put a tweet out when I left the football club <laughs> um, that he might have a different opinion. He's obviously got quite strong opinions on the fact that, you know, um, you have to have a, you know, a, a, a playing background maybe to, to have a level of... Mm, um, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, a, a level of, of, of footballing knowledge. But it depends on who you ask, you know. Um, I study the game. I love the game. Um, I think if you ask some of the senior players that I work with here, your Danny Baffs, your Alex Pritchard, your Bailey Wright, your Corey Evanses, I don't get a vibe from them that they look at me like, well, you haven't played the game. Um, I think I've got a really good relationship with those guys. I think they've, there's a level of respect. I think they see the fact that I'm incredibly serious about the way I work. Um, <clears throat> So, you know, that's something that I'm always, it's a really good question. I'm really glad you asked it because I think that's something I'm always going to have to um, battle with a little bit. Um, but what does give me confidence is obviously the senior players that I work with. Um, you know, I work with T Tony Mowbray, who is a football person. If people want to call him a football person, you know, he's, he's been managed over 800 league games and we have, we have really in-depth conversations around football. And I don't think he looks at me as someone that hasn't played the game. Mark Venus, his assistant, played in the Premier League, played for England, been in England squads. So I don't think he, you know, the conversation we have when we're talking around tactics and designing sessions, you know, you know, Alex Neal's managed in the Premier League. You know, he's got 10 years worth of football. You know, I've got good relationship with all those guys. I don't think they look at me as someone that, you know, hasn't played the game and that hinders me. Um, but it, I also appreciate that that is, that is going to be something that, that I'm going to have to, whether it's earn respect or um, I don't know what the phrase is, that is something that is always going to be there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I can only, I can only be, you know, I can only give everything that I've got to coaching and be the best I can be. Um, I love coaching. I love working with players. I love being on the grass. Um, and hopefully the players feel that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I just uh, not to go too much into the Tom Ross instance, obviously, because it was a, a someone who's quite well respected within the Blues and everything. But I thought it was harsh with the words that he said to you. Really, it was uh, something. Yeah, that, yeah. listen, I, I don't mean to bring that up. I'm not trying to stir. I'm not no, to stir yeah. But but it, you know, Tom Ross, and there will be other people within the game. You know, there will be some pros that. Um, mm. Work with you know pros that are out of work thinking you know how was Mike Dodd's first team coach at Sunderland Football Club you know I've played X amount of games the beauty of football right and this is why I love football is there's so many opinions there's so many different views on the game whether it's a coaching game whether it's tactics whether it's the way the game should be played whether it's what environment should look like what training grounds should be like you know, that is the beauty of our industry. And that's, I'll be, I'll be honest, that's the bit that I, I love. Um, so people can have those opinions. And, you know, I, I'm, I've got no problem with Tom. I've got no problem with people's opinions on what that looks like. My comfort comes from, I go out every day with 
the Sunderland players and the, you know, you know, we've got some fantastic players. I don't think they look at me um, in any of the ways, you know, they, they think that I'm an okay coach. I'm sure they slag me off when they're in the dressing room, probably. Um, but I take comfort in the fact that, you know, the players that have come through at Blues, you know, you know, Damari Gray's playing in the Premier League, you know, Jude Bellingham, hopefully he's going to lift the World Cup for England. Oh. You know, I, I, <laughs> I take comfort in their opinions because if I was coming off the pitch, if I was coming off the training pitch and a Danny Bath and a Corey Evans and an Alex Pritchard were saying I was crap at my job, um, that would offend me, I'll be honest with you, because it's something I'm passionate about. People's opinion outside my day-to-day, in the nice possible way, I actually couldn't care less but yeah I'm really, I'm really glad you asked the question because i've been asked that a lot um i think as you know as i do more of these things and you know the, the you know people from the media contact me and people kind of delve into my career they obviously see that i haven't had a playing background and and quite rightly so it's a question that i think should be asked i haven't got the answer to it apart from i work really really hard i love what i do um and i think i have a level of knowledge, which I think the players have a, a level of respect for. Well, yeah, of course you do. Like, hundred percent. It's just, it was just something that was on my mind. I wanted to ask it anyway. That kind of question, and I, I always thought you might have had to deal with some snotty seventeen-year-old academy kid. Like, oh, do you know? I feel like I've been. Uh, listen, I've probably, I've probably had that. I'll be honest with yeah. you. But they've probably not said it to my face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And and listen, I'm sure I'll have it at some point going forward as as my career evolves. You know, what does he know? He's not played, you know, he's not played a game of professional football. Um, but, you know, that's um, that's part and parcel of dealing with the industry we work in. It's not a particularly nice industry at times. Um, but as I said, I take real comfort with the players that I work with day to day, the players that I've worked with in the past. Their opinion for me is the most important opinion. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's a great way to finish off, really. I think that's... Um that sort of strong mentality, I think it really does shine through with a lot of what, when you hear Jude talking really in those interviews, it can sort of see like the, that sort of part of that's coming out really, the honesty and the being a bit open sometimes and transparent about your career and about your, um, I say media persona, but doesn't that doesn't sound quite right. It just seems like the way you come across, but um, that's been a fantastic conversation. It really has been, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. Um, um, you know, and listening to what you've had to say and everything, I think we just can't thank you enough, really. Yeah. I, um, I, I really appreciate you coming on. As I said, I wanted to try and be as open as possible. Um, I wanted to try and maybe give you some stories um, which which you guys would enjoy, because I know, obviously, you're, you're big Blues fans. Mm. Um, I really enjoy listening to your stuff. I'll be honest with you, you know, some driving back down to the Midlands from the northeast. It's a three-hour drive, so <laughs> I'm always on the podcast listening to different things. So I've listened to some of your stuff. It's really good. So I really appreciate having you on. Um, mm-hmm. I hope I haven't been too boring. Um, oh, no, not at all. Fantastic. And, yeah, 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 amazing, honestly. And it's hopefully, hopefully, you know, in a few years' time, we might have some you know, more blue stories that we, we can discuss. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Be That'd be really great, yeah. Finally, um, Blues Focus, obviously, this is just, I just want it from you. Is it coming home, Mike? That's the question. <laughs> um, oh, the, the coach in me says be really pragmatic with his answer, but the fan in me says 100%. And mm. then Due to score the winning penalty, that's what's going to happen. Due to score the winning penalty, lift the World Cup. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> parade his World Cup medal around St Andrews for all the fans. <laughs> That's one thing that I was really disappointed, really, when it came to the... Because um, obviously we knew Jude was going to leave. It was kind of the same thing with Adams the year before. Um, but it was the fact we never got to properly say goodbye to him. Because yeah. like, it was all the things he'd done for us as a club. You know, he gave him the, given us this amazing amount of money to go and keep the club alive basically and not even to have like a send-off or even a I always thought and I know a few people thought this would be good but like a, a friendly match between Borussia Dortmund like we would have absolutely gotten slaughtered but it yeah. would have been fantastic <laughs> to have seen <laughs> yeah, yeah it'll, and, it'll and I was I was I was his last game was Derby at home wasn't it mm. you know I was um I was actually at that game um and I'll be honest with you I mean, people would have seen the thing. He was really emotional. You know, that wasn't, it's not an easy decision to leave a club that he loved. And I'll be honest with you, I was really emotional because um, it was, it wasn't the end of a journey because our relationships continued, but it almost felt like that chapter had closed. And I'd spent 10 years with a boy and it was like, he's kind of almost, I don't know how to describe it. I can imagine, you know, being a, a dad and your kid goes off to university and it's, you're almost like he's, he's, mm. he's out in the big wide world. And I was, um, I'll never forget a feeling. It was a really emotional feeling for me. Just one, because it, as I said, the, the chapter was closed Two, like you've just said, and the reason I bring this up, I actually felt my heart hurt for Judy a little bit because I knew how much the club meant to him and he didn't really get to say bye to the fans. Mm. Um, and I could feel that on him. And just kind of sat on the pitch with him at the end of the game, empty stadium, and he's on the pitch sobbing his heart out. Um, it was something I'll never forget. Um, but yeah, that's one thing. That's that's another great. I, you know, and I'm sure at some point he'll go back, and I'm sure at some point the club will do something nice for him because um, he hasn't really had that opportunity yet. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was trying to unmute myself there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. Oh. It was really hard because obviously the COVID pandemic had stopped us from being in the ground and everything. Um, so it was an empty stadium when he was sat on the pitch, when he's sort of gathering his mind. But it was an empty pitch, empty ground when it was um, even on the in the actual game itself as well. So that sort of, yeah, it was just really hard for him to keep together, I imagine. But listen, he loves the football club. He loves the fans. Um the family have done a huge amount for that football club and continue to do it, obviously, with if the younger brother still being there. Um, and it will always, it will always be in their, you know, they will always be in their heart. So um, I'm sure at some point the, the club will get an opportunity to um, thank him for everything, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, once again, Mike, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on. Yeah. Really great listening to all the stories you've got to say about the players. And, you know, it's sort of, it's proud, really, to think that there is that real care and real investment in the club, you know, and obviously with the words you said about Eustace as well, it's, it's sort of showing that we've still got a, a fighting spirit in us, even if we do go under financially or whatever happens to us. You Look, know. You've, got, you've got some people that really care in the background of the academy, your Steve Spooners, your, um, mm. as I said, your kind of Danny Barnes, your Martin Orenshaw, your James Brains, um, you know, you know, Danette Cleveland, you know, they've been there for longer than longer than I actually want to mention, but they've been there. So there's people in the background that really, really care about the young players, which I think is really, really important. I think you've got a manager that has a real understanding of what he wants. I think he's got a real calmness and consistency. 
Um, and, you know, providing you continue on the path you're on, I think Blues fans will be, um, will be quite happy with the direction that it's going in and what it's going to look like in the next kind of 12 to 18 months. Um, so long may that continue, whether that does or not. Um, <laughs> fingers crossed, fingers uh, crossed. Whether that does or not, I'm not going to have a comment on <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't think we're going to comment on either. We're all a bit up in the air still at the moment. Just fingers crossed, fingers and toes crossed at the moment. No, fingers to plan still. So yeah, thank you, Mike, for coming on. It's been fantastic. Uh, this has been the Blues Focus podcast. You can listen to us on Apple Music, uh, no, iTunes and Spotify. And you can also subscribe to the channel down below. Be sure to like if you haven't already and also subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, thank you once again, Mike, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. It's been fantastic. And um, keep right on. Keep right on. Keep right on. Sports Social Podcast Network. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Kind of like choosing Derek Jeter as the pinch hitter for your baseball team. Jeter, you're in. We need a home run. I'll give it a try. I've swung a bat once or twice. That's out of here. Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.